Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden, I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Do Good to Lead Well webinar series. It's really great for you to take the time to join us today. Very excited about this upcoming conversation. For those of you who are back again, uh, welcome, a very warm welcome in the summer. It's great to be able to, to see you join us. Uh, for those of you who are new to the Do Good to Lead Well webinar series, podcast series, Hi, my name is Craig Dowden. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Wanna give a little bit of a backdrop before we start the conversation this morning. The, the purpose of this series really was in anticipation in advance of the launch of my first book, Do Good to Lead Well, The Science and Practice of Positive Leadership. And through my adventures, I had the profound privilege of speaking with best-selling authors, TED speakers, top CEOs, and have the opportunity to hear their insights around positive leadership. And so really wanted to start that journey and to open that conversation to a broader community. And so have really over the last several years interviewed over 75 top CEOs, best-selling authors, business leaders, uh, TED speakers, and wanted to do a deeper dive on, on leadership. And I'm thrilled this morning. It's so awesome. I've been looking forward to this and glad our schedule's aligned um, to welcome John Rennie to the program this morning. So, and normally I either speak with a, a best-selling author or I speak with a CEO. And today we have the really cool opportunity to be able to do both. So I'm really, really excited about this. Uh, so John is the co-founder, president and CEO of Peak Demand Inc a manufacturer of critical components for electrical utilities. He's a former U.S. Navy nuclear submarine officer who made seven deployments during the end of the Cold War. He's also an author, three best-selling leadership books, I Have the Watch, All in the Same Boat, and You Have the Watch. He's also a host of a fantastic podcast, now well over 130 uh, conversations, which is awesome, which I'd encourage you to check out, which is called Deep Leadership. So absolutely love that. So without further ado, John, welcome to the, to the program this morning. Hey, Craig, good to see you again. Well, and, and, and it's really awesome to have that combination, and I'm excited. And, and again, John has kindly agreed to take your questions. So We've got such a rich, the hour is gonna fly by because there's so many ways that we can tackle this. Best-selling author, CEO, officer, <laughs> submarine, nuclear submarine. We're, we have an endless uh, treasure trove here. So can you talk, can you share with uh, the audience uh, 
the three books that you wrote, what was the genesis behind that? What were some of the key themes that you were excited to share uh, and get out with 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 your community and, and broaden that message? Sure, yeah, this, the second book I wrote, uh, I'll talk about that first, is called All in the Same Boat, and that's the book I wanted to write. And I, uh, you know, I've been leading uh, people for more than 30 years, and, uh, you know, I realized that maybe in the last 10 years that, uh, that my leadership style was really unique compared to my peers in corporate America. And I never really understood the reasons behind it. But then I've really been thinking about the last 10 years, a lot of the foundational things I learned about leadership were, was when I spent time, uh, you know, my five years as a naval officer on the USS Tennessee. Uh, there was some just some deep lessons that really impacted my life and really helped me be successful uh, as a corporate uh, boss, if you will, corporate leader. And uh, I really wanted to write this book called All in the Same Boat, which is all these lessons I learned and how I applied them in business. Um, but I had hired a writing coach uh, and he gave me some really good advice. He's like, you should write a smaller book first to actually learn how to write a book before you write your big book. And I thought that was really good advice. And I wrote this book called uh, uh, so you, you have the watch or sorry, I have the watch was my first book and I have the watch is, is, you know, it took stories from, you know, when we, when, when, uh, when you're in the Navy, when you had the watch, you were responsible for the mission and the people, uh, that were under, assigned to you. So I really felt that was a powerful story of leadership. You know, when you have the watch, you're responsible for the, both the mission and the people. And so the first book is really just, uh, it's really stories, uh, and, each, and there's, there's, there's like 23 short stories in that book just talking about how I applied leadership lessons I learned in the military into different business scenarios. And so it was a shorter book, but it was a way to learn the process of writing a book, publishing a book, uh, you know, promoting a book and all that fun stuff. And I'm really glad I did that because I really learned a lot through the process. And then writing the second book was uh, so much easier, so much less... Um, anxiety, you know, because you'd already done it before. So, and I always tell, say, tell people like the best way to learn how to do something is to do it, right? The be, I, like I never wrote a book before until I wrote a book. And now, I, now and so when you write your second book, you're like, okay, well, I've wrote, written a book before, so I know what that's like. And so, uh, and then, you know, writing the third book was even, it was even easier. And the third book is a little different from the first two in that it is a guided journal. So it's meant to be you know, as so one of the problems with leadership training, uh, as you know, is that uh, we sometimes make them a one time event. You watch a video, you go to a one week uh, seminar, you read a book. It's usually a one time uh, event. And so I wanted to create something that would be with a young leader or a leader transitioning into into a new role that could be with them for an entire year. So uh, in this in the new book, um, uh, you have the watch. It's it takes leaders through 50 different themes, leadership themes, and each day you reflect on a different facet of that theme and you practice those uh, those skills. And it's this idea of, of practice, uh, practicing leadership skills to get better at those leadership skills. So so the new book is a little bit different than the first two uh, and, and it's more about um, actually you, the, the person, the reader, actually reading the ideas and implementing those ideas in their leadership journey. So, and reflecting on what they learn through the process. So it's a little bit different type of book, but um, yeah, so so yeah, three books out there. Uh, uh, and again, all of them sort of lessons learned from, from, the, from you know, five years in the military, 22 years leading uh, very, you know, very large businesses and corporations. And then, uh, and some of it reflecting on my entrepreneurial journey, starting this manufacturing company. 
Well, and I love that so much there. Uh, and as and and as you said, that's that's some some rock star advice in terms of hey, get get your fee wag, get a book, and you know get go through that learning process because it is. Uh, and as you say, the only way to learn is to just do it. Follow Nike. And uh, and what I love as well, John, as as you talk about each of those books, and then and then your latest book uh, being that guided. I love that you call it a guided journal. And then something that I know you and I are passionate about as well as just that it's the practical side of leadership because for for a, you know in many conversations it can be either about you know really engaging ideas or concepts around leadership and or it's like hey there's some and and people who have been on this you know who follow the program know I'm a huge advocate of science and yet a big gap can be well, how do we turn that into practice? And then what I also love about what you're sharing is it's sustainable practice. So that's really critical. So that's a becoming mindful, right? So that we can do the reps to, to ensure that we continue to benefit as opposed to a one-time event. This is a part of who we are, our leadership DNA, if you will. So already have a question, which I'm thrilled, <laughs> not surprised. Uh, so Ivan says, thank you for your service. Um, and was curious, what elements of, of your experience in terms of being on a nuclear submarine have you brought with you into corporate world? And has there been anything that you've left behind on the submarine? I, that was one of, I was one of my questions. So I'm thrilled that, that I didn't want to take credit for it. So uh, I think that's great. So I'm excited for your answer. Yeah, so I think the biggest lesson that I learned and I've taken away, and I've, I've you know, I've ran, I've run eight different manufacturing companies or, or businesses uh, in, in my time in corporate, and then now a ninth one with my own business. But um, one of the things I took away from my time in the Navy is that uh, every sailor is critical to the mission, and it doesn't matter from your from your most junior sailor to the most senior sailor, every sailor is critical to the mission. So uh, let me give you an example. We have a thing called a trash disposal unit, right? It's on the bottom of the submarine. It's how we get rid of uh, waste that we're allowed to put into the ocean, right? So this is typically food waste and things like that, anything non-plastic, non-oil, things like that. And so what this uh, trash disposal unit is, is a, it's a hole at the bottom of the submarine that you actually put things in and you shoot trash out the bottom of the submarine. Uh, and we take our most junior sailor and we train them and teach them how to operate that trash disposal unit. So we take our most junior sailor and we put a hole at the bottom of the submarine and we let put them in charge of that hole at the bottom of the submarine. Uh, and if they make a mistake, we all die, right? right? So every every so every sailor had to be trained. Every sailor was critical to the mission. It didn't matter uh, what your role was. You had an important role to play. There was only 155 of us, and we had to we had this thing called. Uh, you know, it was, it was a shared responsibility, but it was also a shared vulnerability, right? Anything goes wrong, we all die. So it was it was critical that we train, teach, show, mentor our young sailors so that we could trust them with our lives, because that's exactly what we were doing. And so you take that into corporate America, take that into business, and we tend to sort of uh, not do the same thing with new employees or young employees. We tend to pigeonhole them. We give them simple tasks. We don't get them, you know, we we don't train them, teach them. We, we, we let them figure things out on their own. Uh, and we don't involve them in the mission and we don't involve them in the journey and we don't have this shared level of, we don't have, they don't feel like they're part of this shared responsibility. So 
as a business leader, I've tried to incorporate that in the way I bring new employees on and how I get them involved with uh, with the business and make sure they're trained, fully trained, and and able to have our back as we have their back. So something that I really took away from the submarine force, very unique to the submarine force, uh, very unique to the military as well, is this idea of shared vulnerability, shared responsibility. Mm. One received lots of comments around love that shared responsibility, shared vulnerability, and and also and, and I and I love the point that you made in terms of just all of us are responsible. We're all part of this journey, and and sometimes we can, as you can, as you say, right in a business context, we can devalue or not include or all these other things, and yet every single one of us has a vital role. We all add value to where we're going collectively. So. Uh, absolutely, absolutely love that. So what are some of the unique challenges, like leadership challenges that come from uh, serving as an officer on a, on a nuclear <laughs> submarine? You talked about one I, right away. I was like, I, if I go back through the transcripts, I would. I wonder if someone would say, hey, if this didn't happen, we would all die. So yeah. that, <laughs> that clearly drove the point home right out of the gate, John. If you can yeah. share, what are some of the other unique challenges that you observed and the lessons? Because I think yeah. there's so much richness in, in what you've experienced. So one of the things I noticed when I came to corporate, which was a little bit surprising to me, was uh, the, the physical physical separation between managers and employees or managers and workers and, and managers and where the value is done in the business. So, uh, you know, I noticed as I was actually... I started working, my first job was as a design engineer in, in, a, in a factory in Florida. And I noticed that the uh, all the officers of the company or all the managers of the company were in these air conditioned big offices in the front of the building. And then all the workers were in the non-air conditioned manufacturing plant in Florida in the summertime. And so these guys had sort of, sort of special privileges. They had assigned parking spaces. They had these nice air conditioned offices. Uh, they had a coffee machine. They had kind of, life was good. And then the people on the shop floor, you know, had, uh, you know, it was it was kind of rough working conditions, although the employees were used to it, but it was kind of rough working conditions. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's really unique and different in on a submarine is that there are no special privileges for the leaders, for the officers, for, I mean, because there was no extra space. And so we all were in it together. We, we wore the same uniform, slept in the same size uh, bed. We call it a rack. We ate the same food, um, so we shared everything together. And the other thing is, we were in physical proximity with each other. So the people I that worked for me, I stood six-hour watches with them. I knew them intimately. I knew everything about them. I knew if they were married, if they had a girlfriend, if they had children, uh, what their hobbies were, what their what their hangups, what their phobias are. We had those long conversations where we knew each other. So there was like a familiarity with. They knew who I, who I was and I knew who they were. And so as I led them, I knew how to lead each individual sailor uniquely to their own unique personal self. And so what I noticed coming to corporate it was this separation and then and then managers trying to take a one size fits all approach to leading people. And you just can't do that. It's the same thing, you know, as a parent, I have two boys and both boys are different and needed to be led differently. And they came from the same house, but they had unique personalities. And, and all our employees have unique personalities. And we have to get to know them, have those, you know, build a relationship with them. And so that we can know how, how best they're, they're, they're to be led. And I think that's something that I took from, from you know, from my time in the Navy and brought that into business. 
Mm, well, it's such a, a powerful uh, example and, and, and really critical uh, insight. And have another question already. So the question doors have been opened, I guess. Uh, so Sally was, was, was really took your point around that physical proximity. And so now in a virtual world, uh, recognized it may be challenging to answer the question like, so how, have any ideas or what do you think that leaders can do when now for some organizations, you know, that whole and hybrid work from home, how do we, how do we recreate that? Can we? Yeah, you can. And actually, it's a little more intimate than, uh, with a virtual workplace. And it's something that we don't really think about, but we open up a window into somebody's home you know, when they're working from home. And so you get to see the dog coming in and out, the wife coming in and out, the husband coming in and out, the kids jumping on the husband's lap or the wife's lap or, or the mom's lap or the uh, father's lap. But so we actually get a little bit of a window into the real life of our employees, which we don't get uh, in a corporate setting or an office setting. So uh, yeah, it, it, it is a little more difficult in that uh, right now, like I'm, I'm in a manufacturing environment. I leave this door, I go out and I talk to all my employees. They're all here because we're, we have to physically be here to make our products. But so in a virtual setting, you've got to think about that how do I do that in a virtual world? How do I reach out and touch my employees daily, every day, getting a chance to have a touch point with them? And so what, one thing could just be a quick call. Hey, I'm just checking in, seeing how things are going. So a face-to-face, -face, not just a phone call, face-to-face, -face, which is good. But the other thing is, um, and I found that this was successful. Uh, I saw a lot of people using this successfully during the pandemic is, is making videos uh, and you can send it to your employees versus just like sending an email. Uh, because it's a little more personal. Everyone's got a camera now, right? We, we live in this world. Record a, a, a you know a 10 minute uh, video of you so they see your face, they can connect with you and they can hear hear the tone of your voice and, and how your 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 uh, the message you want to send versus just sending uh, an email. So uh, yes, we're not there physically with each other, but find ways that they can see your face and you can see their face. And again, I think, I think we have opened up a little bit of intimacy with, uh, with you know, getting getting a picture into their in, into our employees' homes. Well, I love that observation as as you share, right? Okay, rather than look at what we've lost <laughs> in physical, what 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 are what have we gained? What are some new data points, if you will? So as you said, the dog burst in, or that classic video, the BBC. <laughs> in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the interview that we've all seen, right, and can empathize with. So now and then, what does that afford us, and what type of insight does that provide? So, uh, I absolutely love that. I have another question from um, from Tara, who said, "Really appreciate the the observation, John, about leading people in different ways because different people are have different needs and different uh, circumstances." So, any insight, any advice around how leaders can do this most effectively? because they're leading an organization kind of collectively yet, you know, nuancing individual uh, employees. So we'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, you know, I, I would say I, I, I cheat. Okay, I'll just say it right up front. And I've had to cheat because I've had teams as much as 600 employees working for me at a time. So what I, what I do is I keep a spreadsheet and I keep a spreadsheet of all my employees and as I connect with them, interface with them, learn about them, I actually put things on the spreadsheet. And and every and one of the things that's in the spreadsheet, obviously, is their birthday. So and I have all of my employees' birthdays on my calendar. So that's that's a that's a connect point. Uh, so so 
I almost, of course, I'm an engineer. I have to, you know, I have to make that admit it. I am an engineer by training. So I've taken sort of a, you know, a logical approach to build, keeping relationships going on is I built, I built a spreadsheet of my employees. What are their hobbies? Are they married? Uh, how old are their children? How, you know, when's their birthday? Uh, what are the things they're interested in? Um, you know, just last observation with them, you know, seems sad, need to follow up, you know, little things like that. So it gives me clues. So if I'm going to walk out into a particular department, I just look over that spreadsheet real quick. I mean, okay, okay, that's Bob. Okay, Bob, Bob. You know, and, and you might think this is kind of funny, but it's just, it's, you know, like, you know, especially when you have a lot of employees, like Bob, Bob, Bob's the big guy. Okay, big guy, Bob, BB, got it. All right. So yeah, you so I, I sort of psych myself up. So I make sure I, I know all these things. And then I head out on the shop floor. How's your wife doing? You know, I heard you know, last time we talked, she, you know, oh, it's great. It's going good. So it's in, and when you're around people, it's all about them. That's really important. It's not about you. It's about them. It's about learning about them, hearing what their stories are, hearing what the struggles are, how you doing, how you feeling, what's going on. And it's, it's, it's not about me. It's about them. And so it's, so I use a spreadsheet. Yeah, I cheat a little bit, but it just helps me remind me of the things I want to talk about when I'm out there with them. Well, and that's, absolute genius right like and to me and so interesting so reflecting on my own you know coaching practice and and with executives and and ceos that are the most successful right and have the most engaged organizations that i work with and absolutely and, and what i find is fascinating around that putting together a project plan or other things you'd never dream of having it without a spreadsheet yet something <laughs> right like and yeah. you're you're bang on you're you, you know it's like hey how do i capture all this information effectively so i can have a dashboard check it out and then and we go in prepared and those things matter so so much and it's similar i loved your uh it it, it, it sparks in me as well john where you talked about those videos a lot of my clients you know were we did those even experimented with them yeah. and were shocked by hey look at the immense value they're like what difference does it make if i'm in my backyard and i buy my you know yeah. flower plant you know pot or whatever uh or i'm on the swing or but it just as you said seeing someone hearing their tone of voice connecting with them looking in their eyes even if it's on a video and just sharing the state of the union, if you will, right? It yeah. it does. It 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 absolutely matters. Um, one area I want to I want to delve into as well, and and as people can see right away, this is why I was so excited about this conversation. So much great stuff. Uh, you have some concerns about business leadership today and employee engagement, as you can tell just from hearing your own philosophy that you've started to provide with us, which is fantastic. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, where are we in the in the landscape of business leadership? And you see so many troubling trends around engagement and the great resignation. Yeah. Give give us your thoughts on that, John. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so I've been following this for a while. You know, Gallup had does the you know this engagement survey, and you know it's been fairly consistent that seventy percent of of employees are are disengaged at work. So you have about thirty percent roughly that are engaged, active, you know, they're, they're, they're bought into the vision, they're, they're excited about being there at work, but then there's the 70% crowd, and that number hasn't changed, it's gotten a little bit better a point or two here, but um, it's a big number, you know, it's, it's a majority of people are disengaged at work, you could argue plus or minus 5%, right, but still, it's a majority of people are disengaged at work, and I kind of feel sad about that, right? I feel like um, 
that we as leaders haven't done our job if, if our employees are, are are disengaged at work. They and a lot of that has to do with disengaged bosses. So again, I talked about the bosses who are uh, you know sequestered in their office, they're on conference calls, they're busy, right? Too busy to uh, you know be present and get out there and, and meet with people. Or you have those bosses that are way too present and they're trying to control every facet of their employees' lives, right? So they don't let the employees be themselves and take their own unique approaches to the world. So we have frustrated uh, our 70% of our workforce by our leadership actions. And what's frustrating to me is that there's been 15,000 books written about leadership. So we, we know what to do, but we don't do it. And, um, and a lot of times I think too, is the things that make great leaders are what, what's, what are often called soft skills. It's uh, treating people with respect, it's listening, it's being present and uh, being, uh, being humble and, and, and showing vulnerability. These, these basic human traits, right, are, are often called soft skills uh, when it comes to leadership. And the thing is, what I don't understand is if they are soft skill, why are they so hard for us to use in business, right? Why are we struggling with using them? Why do we have to, like, I almost see like many leaders, I saw this in my corporate life, is many leaders are like a caricature of a leader. They they get into a role and then they become, you know, I have the answers, I have all, you know, I have all the knowledge and, and they start treating people differently because they're the boss. And and it's it's really sad to see. And I think we got to get back to you know, I, I often say in my books that leadership is a people business. It's it's not anything else but a people business. You're motivating people to do a job, do 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 a task, or or do something difficult, right? It's about motivation. It's about people, and it's about a goal. Those are the three things. And most leaders are not doing those three things. They're doing emails, or they're they're on conference calls, or they're uh you know you know laying out the plans for they want our pe their people to do every day. And and it's not it's not it's not motivation. It's not it's not uh, treating people with respect and it's not certainly setting goals and, and and getting out of the way. So I think that's what I'm frustrated with is that we even even with all this knowledge we have today, we're still we're still not we're still not engaging our employees. We're we're disengaged bosses create disengaged employees. And I think we see a lot of that still today, even in the midst of all 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 of this great knowledge that we have. Absolutely. And I think you know the uh the the knowledge to do gap is profound uh and as you say there's so much out there with with research with with you know best-selling books around leadership and what to do and uh and then and one of the big challenges is to turn it into daily practice and what are the systems and i love as another example of the spreadsheet right it's a great way to keep it top of mind because you can absolutely imagine a universe whereby without that spreadsheet you just get wrapped up in doing a whole bunch of other things and then you do get dragged into email and and i, I love your point about the soft skills they are if they're routinely called soft yet they are <laughs> in my experience the most challenging they're the hardest stuff right it's the yeah. figuring out a business plan or what we need yeah there may be complexities to that it's how do you bring everyone behind that uh, and and rally them behind a common cause, which is which is so powerful. Uh, another idea, which I know you're passionate about, and which I think is is uh, really compelling, is that you really view failure as an important training tool, um, and it's invaluable in terms of our own development. Uh, which maybe some people might be shocked in terms of the your nuclear submarine experience, uh, yeah. but uh, you know I, I love that. And so, can you talk? 
to us around why what makes failure so important. And then also I'm gonna, so this will, I'm, I'm prepared for a longer answer on this because I think that's critical, right? How do you create the conditions for that too? So as a leader, yeah. I can get people comfortable uh, with failure because I think that's so important and living in the world we're in, John, you know, innovation, all that, that, that is critical stuff. So how do, how do we do that? Why is it so important to, to create an environment that facilitates failure and then and and how to get people more comfortable with it mm, yeah so i mean a lot of this the ideas for this come came from my experience in the military and my experience on submarines in particular is that they believed in control failure they believed that the best way to learn is for you to make a mistake and feel that emotional response so the reason why failure is such a great powerful teaching tool and it helps us to learn is that we don't want to do that again it, it, it's embarrassing when we fail it it uh you it's humbling it's uh you know it, it, all those things happen uh when you fail and so what they used to do on the submarine is they used to make us stand ju junior watch so you were the under instruction watch so like if there was an officer of the deck you had a junior officer of the deck or if you had an engineering officer of the watch you were the junior uh, engineering officer of the watch and what what the uh, senior watch standard would do was okay you're in charge and they would let you run the boat through various drills and various casualties and and typically they would pick scenarios which were impossible to solve like you could not you there was no right answer because what they've done is thrown more at you that it was possible so you were they designed it so you would fail and then they would stop the drill and say what do you do wrong and 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 that was really powerful because it got you a chance to say oh yeah well i forgot to do this i forgot to this i made the wrong announcement over the the you know the 1mc the the speaker system i made i screwed up like yeah yeah what else and then what else do you do wrong I'm like well i didn't do this. so but the point is is that you went back to your rack after one of those sessions and you just thought about it, like oh my gosh i can't believe i did that i can't believe i got to do better at this i gotta learn this so you so you learn to get better through failure right mm -hmm. and so take take what we do in, in 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 businesses right we take our most junior employees right the people that just came to us right they might have spent uh most of their adult life training to get this job, right? They, they went through four years of college, maybe two years of grad school. They, they got all these certifications so they could come into our workplace, right? And then what do we do to these junior people? We give them the most mundane tasks. We give the hard task to our senior people. We give the easy task to our junior people so that we don't screw things up because last thing we can have in business is someone failing, right? If someone fails, I got to do some paperwork. I've got to deal with this problem. So we just give the hard task to the senior people that won't screw it up. And then we let, and then we take our young people who've spent their lifetime to try to get this job. We give them simple, easy tasks. They never fail. They never learn. They never get the chance to experience what it means to make a mistake and, 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 and the ramifications for it. We don't give them that opportunity to have a controlled failure. So what I like to do and what I challenge people to do is to give your young people, give them some projects where you have an, where they have an opportunity to lead something or do something as difficult and then be there for them, be the backup for them. So if they do fail, you can have that opportunity like that senior watch standard and say, what happened? What went wrong? What, what can you do differently? And so you have that opportunity to have a controlled failure let them get them a chance to fail in a controlled manner. And uh, you mentioned something that's really important, that what are the conditions that allow for failure? And this is a really important point in that if you want to have an organization 
that is moving forward at a, at a quick pace, right? It means that you're doing things that have never been done before and you are likely going to have failure, right? And so you want to build a culture where failure is, is all about learning. Now, I'm not talking about people doing things that are dishonest and people doing things that are illegal or immoral. It's, it's this idea of when you take a risk or you're pushing the envelope of something and it doesn't work out is that it's not a fireable offense. It's one of these where we sit back and say, well, okay, what happened? Why did that production process not, you know, we didn't increase, we spent this much money, we only increased efficiency 20%, we were trying for 50%, what happened, why, and what how, What can we learn from it? So you create an environment where it's not, uh, as soon as something fails, uh, you fire somebody, it's this idea of it's a learning organization and you're pushing the limit. So when you're filled with an organization which is based on fear, where people are being fired uh, for making honest mistakes, then everyone's running around fearful and nobody takes any chances and nobody's moving the ball forward. Everybody's just like, I'm just gonna do my job and I go home. How many times have you heard that? I just do my job and I go home, I keep my head down, right? That is when an organization dies. And that's what I saw in my time in career. I saw organizations dead because everyone's fear, fear of being fired, fear of being uh, uh, you know, written up for just making a small minor mistake. And that's a problem, major problem. Well, and and uh, right away, as soon as you're describing that, you know, it's like, hello, disengagement that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. On, right? exactly. Like, gee, yeah. I wonder why we're at that we're at that threshold. And I love I mean, there's just so much there in that idea of controlled failure, because what I love about what you shared on that and it is so much is that number one. And, and again, and, and ensure that I've got this. Because one thing I love is that it's around breaking down the problem, if you will, right? And then almost analytically, intellectually understanding the process, the, the decision-making process and where assumptions, so engaged left brain. So that's, yeah. Yeah. then I emotionally learn what it's like to deal with the fallout of making mistakes. So I'm engaged on both sides of my brain. I'm not only learning, how to approach problems more effectively. I'm also learning how to emotionally manage problems more effectively. Is that is is that part of the because I just think that's a brilliant, it's so, so powerful. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And as an engineer, you know, it's for me, it's easy to handle, okay, procedurally I had I screwed up here, here, here. But then it's the other side of your brain that's going, oh, yeah, well, that was embarrassing. You know, like, you know, like I want to I want to look like I know what I'm doing, but I, I, I don't look I, I look like, a, a, you know, I, I, I made myself look foolish. So so there's this like I got to get better. You know, there's it's it, it's 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 something that I don't want to feel that feeling again. So I'm going to learn this so that I don't have this. Right. So it's yeah, it's exactly it. It's it's both sides of the brain. Yeah. Well, and, and what's really cool, too, is that it, it, it also harkens back to the beginning of our conversation where you talked about shared responsibility and shared vulnerability. So to me, I'm like, hey, if I'm in an environment where this is our ethos, like this is how we treat one another, we have shared responsibility and shared vulnerability, well, now the safety, and I love you talked, you know, the fear, and then the, the flip side, the safety that, hey, all of us are... <laughs> <laughs> are are going to struggle with this and or have struggled so that's all right like we're just here to learn and love that you you commented on a learning organization i think that's just uh, really mm -hmm. fantastic there are um a couple of 
key ideas that that you've talked about as well and and some expressions and so I'd love for you to unpack a little bit for for the audience around so what does it mean to earn your oxygen <laughs> I love that I think it's it's fantastic yeah. So when you show up on a submarine, you know, it's funny because I spent my life, almost 10 years of my life, actually, sorry, 11 years of my life trying to get onto a submarine. So uh, there's a lot to become a submarine officer, right? But um, when I first got there, I thought, well, I've arrived. You know, this is great. I finally made it. But when you arrive on a submarine, you're called a nub. And a nub is a non-useful body. And a non-useful body basically is breathing other people's oxygen and eating other people's food who are knowledgeable enough to run the submarine you are not and i heard i interviewed a submarine captain uh a uk submarine captain once and he told me this he said he said there is no uh he said uh if you are unqualified on a submarine you are a passenger and there's no room for passengers on a submarine so earning your oxygen is this idea of uh being qualified is 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 being uh, adding value to your organization. So uh, on a submarine, you had to learn every watch station. You had to qualify on every aspect of the boat before you were allowed to stand stand watch. And so you had to prove, and it's a year-long process, once you show up to submarine, it's a year-long process that you can prove to the officers and sailors in that submarine that you're qualified to be able to stand watch and to have the backs of your others of, of the sailors that you're serving with. So it is, uh, there's a high level of positive peer pressure in that environment that you are, this is a shared responsibility or vulnerability thing. So you you have to get qualified. You have to know your stuff. And, and I'm going to help you. I'm also giving you a hard time if you don't know your stuff. So there's a high level of positive peer pressure to get qualified and be, be part of that organization. Now, come to corporate America. You know, again, my experience so I get to, you know, I get I get to my first job and they give me a, a cubicle and a desk and uh, and a stapler. I still have that stapler, by the way. And then um, and then no no process for getting qualified. Uh, no, like I don't even know what to do in this job. I'm not even sure why you hired me. Uh, I don't know what a design engineer does at this company. So very little onboarding, right? And so I actually took the mentality of like, okay. What did I do in the Navy? Well, I got qualified. What did qualification qualification meant? It meant spending time with experienced people and learning what they did, right? So that's what I did in corporate America is I spent time with the people that are doing the job and I asked a lot of questions and I said, to, you know, if, you, if you're going on the shop floor, take me with you. If you're working on a project, show me. If you're working on something with a, with a computer system, show me. And so I took that mindset of earning my oxygen the same way I did in on the submarine. I took that to my, my job in the corporate world. And what I found was is that uh, I got qualified quicker that way. I took, you know, I took matters into my own hands. And then eventually, and I, I, I was only in the business five years. I went from a design engineer to running my first manufacturing plant in five years because I was constantly on a learning mode because I wanted to add value. I did not want to be a nub. So, you know, I talked to young, I do talk to a lot of um, graduate students uh, in some of the work that I do. And one of the things I say to them, and I have a whole speech on don't be a nub. You know, don't be a non-useful body when you get to wherever you're going to. Earn your oxygen. Be someone of value, uh, and be you know, be a net contributor, not a net taker of things. And I think if you take that approach in your career, uh, you're going to do much better than the people that are just looking for what what's in it for me, right? Absolutely, I love that. Uh, I, I will have to be on the lookout to how I can deploy nub because <laughs> I think that is 
that is fantastic, John. And and the idea around it, it's so interesting because reflecting on my own on, on my own practice and the work that I do and some of the ways in which I support my clients and that onboarding side, right? The coaching yeah. and because a lot of times to your point, what's really fascinating to me, and you nailed it, right, is where people spend an inordinate amount of time, okay, well, let's build the 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 job description and where they're gonna work yeah. and all this kind of stuff, and then spend all this time recruiting and money and everything else, and then they parachute this person into the or and then they're like all right you know craig good yeah. thanks for being part of the team and bye bye and and so you know and, and you really leave someone adrift there and what i love about what you're sharing which i think is so powerful and i, and I want to take a moment to highlight that because what you did i also think which is important for us to remember is hey and then we have a choice so even if we are put into a position where all right the conditions of success aren't in place I love, as you're saying, all right, what's a methodology or framework? And I love this idea as well, my own practice, right? What's something you've deployed elsewhere successfully that might apply here? And I love what you said, right? Hey, what did not, not becoming a nub look like in the submarine? How do I take the same methodology and, and, and put it here? I've got another question, a bunch of questions coming in. Uh, Irina said, uh, love your passion and, and your philosophy. Um, as an aspiring leader uh, early in, in, in her career, what advice would you have around how I can build my leadership skills and, and become better and, and love the idea that leadership is a people business? So any advice around how to, how to be able to uh, upskill quickly? Yeah, I think the, the main thing is, you know, if you want to go into leadership, I always say, what's your why? You know, why are you doing this? Because uh, you know, leadership can be difficult, right? I mean, you were on stage, uh, you know, in, in my case on a submarine, it was 24-7. You're on stage 24-7 uh, and everyone's looking to you for, you know, guidance. And, and so it's not for everybody, but if you're going to do it, I would say the main per main thing is what's, what's your reason for doing it? And so uh, some of the best leaders have become leaders because they want to make a difference. So they felt like them stepping in the fray, taking that responsibility means that they can help uh, help the mission and the people best. And so I would say if you're going into leadership because you want the corner office, the big bonus check, the company car, all the perks that come with leadership, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, you are you are going to be one of those bosses that 70% uh, of the people are disengaged because you're just in it for yourself and the money. Um, that Now, that being said, as a leader, you tend to, you know, if you're good at what you do, you tend to, it, you you will get rewarded for it. But I don't, I've never done it for for the for the money, for the title, for the office, for the perks. I've always done it for the people. Like I feel like my responsibility as a leader is to make a difference in the lives of the people working for me. And so that's why I do it. That's why I'm motivated. Um, you know, starting a manufacturing business is the ultimate get rich slow scheme, uh, which I've learned. <laughs> so, you know, like I could Dave, I could probably dance on TikTok and make a lot more money, but uh, what I'm doing it because I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in my employees' lives and in this industry. So I think the big thing is to sit back and think about why you want to be a leader. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, you're going to, all the rest of the stuff will, will come. Well, and I love that and and great. And so had great, great, great answer and thank you. And one of the things that I really value about uh, what you just shared and and admitting my own bias, it's it's part of what, you know, the the title of the the podcast webinar series, right? Do good to lead well. So 
when you do good, when you focus on adding value to, to the world around you, well, then results follow. And it's not because sometimes people get caught in, oh, well, do I do this? You know, if I do this, then I'm not going to be able to. And exactly as you say, hey, when you're focusing on uh, 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 doing the right thing, well, the results are going to follow. And so uh, I absolutely love that. Um, and I had someone who just said, I have to sign off early, but this has been absolutely awesome. <laughs> so I just, uh, <laughs> just wanted to cool. share that a piece of real-time feedback. Uh, had another question um, from Allison who shared, love the idea of your why, like finding your leadership why. And so any advice around how someone can do that? Any reflection questions you can you can pass on? Uh, how do, how do you uh, suggest someone find their why as a as a leader? So you're <laughs> what do they say? The greatest day is uh, the two greatest day in a person's life is the day you're born and the day you figure out why. And I can't answer the why for you, but I can tell you a little story. Um, after I finished uh, my time in the Navy, it was my it was my childhood dream to be a naval officer on a submarine. I accomplished that dream. And what do you do at 25 years old when you've accomplished all your dreams in life, right? And so I was struggling for a long time with what I wanted to do next in the world. I went to go work in corporate. I served in a lot of different management jobs uh, and eventually got my first plant manager's job, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I didn't have a passion. I didn't have a purpose. And I struggled in, in, in trying to find my North Star. And I remember, <clears throat> It happened to me on my second, uh, so my second role is uh, I had a, I had two manufacturing plants, one in Ohio, one in Pennsylvania, and I was going up uh, to talk to the Ohio employees, and I was meeting with the third shift employees, and the business was losing money. We really had to make a turnaround because corporate had threatened we're going to shut it down if we didn't turn it around, and I had to go deliver that message on third shift in the middle of winter in Ashtabula, Ohio, which is on the lake, and it's very cold. It's very wintry, and I remember driving to the plant and just being miserable. It was so cold, uh, it was snowing, <clears throat> got there, you know, the plant was very old and it was like, there's just, you know, uh, wind was coming through the cracks and crevices of this old plant. And uh, we met up in the in the uh, second floor, there was a conference room and I got a cup of coffee uh, on my way in. It was this greasy cup of coffee. It was an old coffee pot and it was just, and, and it was a styrofoam cup. And I remember just sitting in that, um, in that conference room why the quality manager was delivering the numbers. And I had, to, I had to go up next and I had to deliver this message that we had turned the business around. And I looked down at this cup of coffee, it's the most miserable cup of coffee I ever had in my life. There's oil floating on it. There's things, you know, there's grounds at the bottom of the cup. <clears throat> it's miserable. And I just remembered right then and there that this is where I wanted to be. I wanted to be nowhere else in the world. With all the degrees I had, with the experiences I had, I could be anywhere in the world doing anything I wanted to do but I wanted to be right there right now. I wanted to be with these people and I wanted to help them turn that business around. I wanted to be the leader that we can turn that business around and, and make sure those jobs stayed at that location. And someone has to do it and that was gonna be me. And at that moment, I saw what I wanted to do and my real purpose in life. And that was to make successful manufacturing businesses so that people can have long uh, careers in manufacturing. And that's what I've, been, what I've been doing my entire life from that point forward. But it took me a while to find my why, and it may take you a while to find your why. But it's going to be something when it hits you, and I remember the moment, I've written about it many times, because it just hit me like I don't want to be anywhere else in the world except with these people and help, and trying to turn this business around. And, and we, ended, we ended up doing it. But, um, but again, 
give me the hard jobs. I want the hard things. And I learned that on that day that I want the crappy cup of coffee in the, in, in the middle of the night in wintertime with a plant that's losing money. That's what I wanted to be. And so you'll have to figure that out in your own leadership journey. Well, and I love that and got lots of comments uh, there, John, and just very inspiring story. And thanks for sharing and 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 very vivid imagery in terms of that <laughs> whole scenario. And absolutely, I mean, it just makes and tapping into that core sense of purpose. And so why do I do what I do? Where is it? As you say, and I love that, how, how you frame it too. There's nowhere else in the world I would rather be right now than doing what I'm doing right now. And back to the engagement side, which we touched on earlier too, right? Like that's that's it. This is what I was born to do. This is what I always wanted. Uh, and and as you say, and that and being mindful of that journey and looking for those teaching moments for ourselves. A lot of times we look at them for others. That's so uh, so wonderfully insightful. I have another uh, question from from Rich, who uh, and and it's a, a great build on which is there's so much conversation these days about resilience and mm. resilient organizations and. So John, you seem very <laughs> rich as you seem full of energy and quite resilient. So any advice for individual leaders about how they can keep their own resilience up and then uh, for the companies or teams they lead, how to keep people uh, resilient during times of challenge? Yeah, I think that's really, it's a really good question. And, um, you know, I, I, I love uh, Angela Duckworth's book on, on grit. Um, and she talks about the two things that, that what make up grit, and that's passion and perseverance. So, and what she talks about, and I think it's, and I think it's, it's been true in my career, is when your passion is strong enough, when your passion and your desire is strong enough, you will go through any obstacle to achieve that. I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, it took me 11 years uh, to become a naval officer from the time I decided I wanted to become a naval officer. It was 11 years. And through that 11 years, a lot of people told me that I wasn't going to make it. A lot of people said I, I was in circumstances where I shouldn't have been and I, I was way over my head. But the idea of my passion was so strong that I would go through anything to achieve my goal. And I did. And I, and I was able to achieve it. So the idea of resilient organization, this idea is you know, are you going to be, is your passion strong enough that you're going to do what it takes no matter what happens to achieve your objectives? And if you want to learn how to be resilient, I would say this, start a company. <laughs> so <laughs> I've had to learn, I've had to learn a lot of resilience uh, in the past six years and, and uh, more than I ever realized in my life. In, and uh, it, it's tough. I mean, becoming an entrepreneur and starting a business from scratch is, you're going to be faced with stuff that, you um, you know, you never expected. And the idea is if your passion is strong enough, you're going to be able to get through uh, whatever comes your way. So I think it's, if your passion isn't there, you're not going to, when the first obstacle comes your way, you're going to walk away and say, I'm not, that was too much for me. I'm not going to do it. So I think, I think uh, Angela Duckworth's got a great point when it says, when she says grit is these two things combined. Mm. Well, I love that. And, and thinking back to earlier, as you were talking about leadership being a, a, a people business, right? It's that. So finding that passion. And then I loved your observation earlier, too, about dealing with different people. And if so, unlocking their passions, what yes. gets them excited, yeah. what's mm -hmm. going to give them that, right? The, the energy to continue to persevere. Love that. And, and I'm also a huge fan of Angela Duckworth's uh, work as well. So the time has flown by. We've got about 10 minutes left. It's unbelievable how much we've uh, covered in this time. So uh, thank you so much. And I keep getting great comments. And uh, if there are other questions, please, I'll do my best to, to get to them in the time that we have. Uh, 
uh, and other ideas, you've got so many great ideas and I've taken so many notes here. Uh, you also talk about a no escape mindset. So uh, I, I love that because, again, very vivid uh, imagery here. So what does that look like, both on a submarine and, and, and in business? Yeah, the no escape mindset, I write about it in my second book. And, and that is that um, on a submarine, you couldn't get away from a colleague you had a dispute with or, or a boss you had a problem with or an employee that you had a challenge with. You had to make it work. Um, we didn't have a chance to... Uh, replace people halfway through a deployment, right? So you were you were deployed with the people that you you were deployed with, and you're stuck with them for the end. So this idea of no escape mindset is that how can I resolve issues with with, with a person that we that you're that you're having a challenge with, and don't try to just escape from it. So we tend to do that in business. We'll you know if we have somebody that we don't like, we fire them, or we're moving to a different department, or we'll we'll just avoid them uh, because it's an embarrassing or or it's a confrontational situation. And one of the things we learn on the boat is that you don't let um, problems linger. If you have a problem with somebody, you go work it out because you know what? You're probably likely going to be standing watch with that person for the next six hours. So you might as well get it out there and work it out. And I tell some pretty funny stories on the boat where I I lost it with a senior officer on the boat and um, and to the point where like a lot of the uh, sailors had never seen a junior junior officer call a senior officer all those names that I called him. Uh, I felt justified at the time for losing my cool, but uh, in, in reality, I shouldn't have. But I remember going to talk to that officer afterwards, and I just, you know, I, I went to his stateroom and I said, look, I lost it. I apologize. I should not have done that. And he just said to me, he said, look, we're both trying to do a job. You know, that's going to happen. It's a high stress environment that we, we operate in. He, I, he goes, I have no problem with you. I, and I appreciate everything you do. And I said, well, I have no problem with you. He said, well, all right. I said, well, are we done? And he's like, we're done. Are we cool? We're cool. And we remain friends even to this day. So my point is, is that uh, in, in the business world, when you're not, even when you're not locked in an environment like this, you still, you can't let problems linger. Work it out. Work it out with those, uh, uh, with your peers, with your boss, with your employees. If you've got something that's um, bothering you, work it out. Don't let it linger. Well, I think it's such a powerful, again, another great example. And then, and and what I love is 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 taking that and, and reminding of that sense of place, right? Where you said, hey, if you're on a submarine, it's not like, oh, we got to go back. And yeah. I, I, I'm not having a good time with Craig. Let's find someone else here. Uh, and and I think, as you say, you know, in a lot of cases, we can sidestep that responsibility and and just not engage with people. And as you say, and and such an important insight. Then that festers; it doesn't go away. Bigger, I mean, and how many conversations that have I been a part of, or more accurately, conflicts that I've you know navigated and stepped in and and worked with people through in terms of well because. We, we haven't found a way to have that conversation and more importantly early in the game yeah. as opposed to when it's become a mat you know a, a, yeah. a, a, a blow-up situation so absolutely love that well we've got uh, a, a couple of minutes left uh, we're nearing on that magical time and again i've uh, learned so much from this uh, conversation and as we as as we wind down would love to hear from you, John. You know, what what are your thoughts on 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 the future of leadership and where where we as business leaders and organizations need to focus so that we can really uh, thrive uh, during the times ahead? These challenges we're going to face uh, ahead. 
Yeah, I, I, I feel good. I'm optimistic. And, and the reason I'm optimistic is that, um, you know, we've had a bit of a disruption, right? So we've had this, uh, this COVID and, and, and now we have like a lot more remote work than we had before. Uh, and then we have this thing called the Great Res Resignation, which you alluded to earlier. And what leaders are finding out is that if they want to keep my best people, I got to keep them engaged. I got to get them on projects that are exciting, that they're interested in. I've got to treat them with respect because there is no stigma attached with leaving a job now. So, you know, used to be, I'm 55 years old, used to be, if you saw somebody with a bunch, you know, every two years they left job, you would, you'd question whether or not they were the kind of employee you want to have in your company. Well, now that stigma is gone, right? Uh, nobody, there's nobody. So, so leaders have to step up their game if they want to keep their people. So I have a good friend of mine, um, uh, John Brubaker, Brubaker. He said, always says, he's, he says, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. And employees today are going to go where they're celebrated. They're not going to hang out if they're just tolerated. So leaders are going to have to step up their game uh, if they want to keep and, re and uh, uh, retain top talent. So what I think is that just by the nature of what has happened in the past three years, leaders are going to have to get better if they want to uh, keep their organizations running and, and be, you know, being effective and being successful. Well, I absolutely love that. I think that's such an important point. And, uh, and as you say, continue to raise our game and focus on, on being leaders and how we're showing up as leaders and as human beings in our organizations. And, and, and as we're closing here, um, just want to express my deepest gratitude to you, John, like the energy, the passion that you have for positive leadership. And before having it, you know, I, I sense would be a really engaging, I, I knew if I can say, I know, you know, it was going to be, and this has just been absolutely fantastic. And, and what I love is, is that, and, and what you've shared with us is, is really shone a light on and looked at issues in different ways and then also provided some really tangible takeaways uh you know no <laughs> it's gonna be uh controlled failure just lots of fantastic nuggets that are not only thought-provoking i can bring them in and we can take action on them so before we uh, say our goodbyes, any final words you want to share or ways in which I would encourage people to check out your deep leadership podcast so, uh, and, and your books and, and to follow you. So any final words before we close our time this morning, because this has just been a boatload of fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll just I'll just reiterate that leadership is a people business, and I will say it's not a paperwork business, it's not a meeting business, and it's not an email business, and it's not a to-do list business. It is a people business, and uh, when you find yourself in your office doing emails and to-do lists, uh, you're not leading, right? Uh, if you're doing, if you're working on things in your office alone, you're a doer and not a leader. So be careful. Every time you're in your office, hopefully you'll hear my voice say leadership is a people business, not a to-do list business or a email business. <laughs> well, that, what a wonderful close and absolutely. And I'll make sure that's uh, the mantra for me as well. And for those uh, that are here just as a reminder for the next episode, I'm going to put this up so you can see next week. I'm happy to welcome Brian Will Mills, who is the president of U.S. Water Filters. We're going to be talking about his journey and his insights in terms of positive leadership. So until then, John, this has been an absolute pleasure. 
Uh, really appreciated the time. And uh, to everyone, have an amazing day. Thanks for your feedback. Got lots of great comments, amazing webinar. Thanks for your passion. So uh, John, uh, kudos to you. This has been absolutely great. Uh, bye for now, everyone. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Dowden or reach out via LinkedIn or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.